The first journal I ever had was a fire engine red hardbound notebook with a lock. And on the front, there was a picture of Lucy, like Charlie Brown and Snoopy Lucy. And over her head was a little bubble that said, keep out in all caps. I don't remember who got me that notebook, but I think it was sometime circa 1986, I want to say. And I fell instantly in love with it. My childhood was a little chaotic, let's just say. And that journal was my first taste of self-generated stability. It was my first inkling that while the world would continue to spin in its chaos, there was one place I could find stability, solidness. There was one place I could create my own reality. And what's strange about this is that if you cracked open that journal, and if you've actually if you opened any of the kajillions of journals I've kept since then, you wouldn't find anything interesting. In fact, you'd just find me wrestling with the same shit I've been wrestling with my whole life. If I had to guess, I'd say I'd say those journals are kind of a three-way split between me bitching about something, me being anxious about something, and then me talking myself off the ledge or praying myself off the ledge of whatever those some things were. In other words, there is nothing special or particularly deep about my journals. Not a single thing. They're just human drivel. And don't get me started on the teenage journals I kept. They are just, (laughs) they are page after page of cliched teenage angst. And yet they also somehow contain a power so potent that I do believe that they are the engine of my creativity, my strength, my authenticity. And this episode is dedicated 100% to pulling back the curtain of my journaling practice, not because I think it's unique or special, but because it is probably the single most important ritual I have. My journaling practice is more important to me than therapy, exercise, diet, even going to church. Truly, if you ask me to sacrifice any of my rituals, you would have to pry journaling out of my cold, dead hands. Why? Because my journaling practice is the room of one's own that Virginia Woolf talked about, a place out beyond the voices of my family of origin, my friends, my children, my husband, my clients, my partners, my neighbors, and anyone else I come into contact with. In fact, there's a Virginia Woolf quote that perfectly sums up how I feel when I sit down to write in my journal. Quote, no need to hurry, no need to sparkle, no need to be anybody but oneself, end quote. This episode is my attempt to convince you that you need a place way out beyond the opinions of others where you can actually hear yourself think where you can feel the entire spectrum of emotions you carry inside you without judgment, where you can be petty and small and honest and foolish and outrageous and lionhearted. There has to be at least one place where we can let it bleed, let it blossom, let it roar. And that place is in the pages of a journal. So in this episode, we are covering three territories together. First, we're going to talk about mechanics, the how of my journaling practice, and potentially yours as well. We're going to talk about the obstacles, the yeah buts of journaling practice. 
And then we're going to talk about making a plan together, you and me, to get this thing moving in your life. Are you ready? Of course you are. So number one, let's talk about mechanics of a journaling practice, the actual how of it. It's so funny. I posted recently to Instagram, like, hey, are you guys interested in a podcast episode on on journaling? And people were like, yes. And a million questions came through. So I'm going to be answering all of you guys who were generous enough to interact with me on Instagram at BronwynSF. By the way, if you're not on Instagram, come on, get on over there. And so thank you to everybody who engaged with me. Everything we talked about is in here. Your voices are in here. So thank you. So let's talk about the how of it though. And here's the thing. I was about to tell you that there's no wrong way to journal, but as soon as I sort of formed that thought, I knew that that was bullshit because there absolutely is a wrong way to journal. The wrong way to journal goes like this. Write only what you think is acceptable. Write as if everyone will read these pages and laugh at you and be horrified by what a loser, slut, liar, cheat, idol, idol, <laughs> idol, <laughs> idiot is what I was trying to say. Where the hell did idol come from? You know, all right as if you are anticipating somebody's going to call you out for being a jerk. That's a classic example of the wrong way to journal. Here's another example of the wrong way to journal. Write only when you feel like it. Write only when the weather is good or bad. Write only when you have the right notebook, pen, desk, or chair. And lastly, write only if you have something to say, and it better goddamn be poetic and moving and deep and grammatically correct. You see where I'm going with this. The only way you can get this wrong is if you either perform for some unknown, unnamed them, or you make the words on the page into some kind of precious, otherworldly altar to the muse, or you could do it wrong by not doing it at all. To me, the only way to journal is to treat it like you're brushing your teeth. I cannot fathom going downstairs in the morning until my before my teeth are brushed. I, I would feel so unsettled, like something was off, like I had missed some basic, crucial part of my day. And that is how I feel about journaling too. I don't think too much about it. I just know that it's necessary. I just fill in three pages of notebook paper, which is essentially the how of my journaling practice. I just fill three pages. And I came to this style of journaling through Julia Cameron's otherworldly program outlined in her incredible book, The Artist's Way. And in case you're not familiar with The Artist's Way, it's a 12-week creativity recovery program. It's totally self-paced. You just buy the book and you just start. And it is life-changing. And I know I sometimes use that phrase sort of hyperbolically, but I do not mean it hyperbolically in this sense. I mean, it is literally life-changing, that 12 weeks. The first time I made my way through that book and the 12 weeks was in 2001. The central practice of the program, the core sort of element of the artist's way is something that Julia Cameron calls morning pages. They're just three pages of whatever the hell you feel like writing. And they're supposed to be kind of, you treat them almost like the writing version of your bowel movement in the morning. (laughs) I'm serious. Like it's, it's hygiene. Morning pages is not pretty or precious or cool. It's literally like taking a crap in the morning. Seriously. 
And for those 12 weeks, your morning pages are non-negotiable. They have to happen every single day without fail. And are there journal prompts? Sure. But the point of those three pages is just to clean the cobwebs out of your brain. Aren't you glad I left that potty metaphor behind? Because we could really go deeper with that, but I'm not interested. Are you? I didn't think so. Okay. So for me, since I, since I did my first 12 week artist way journey in 2001, I have continued with my morning pages. That's a long time. And of course I've missed days. Of course. In fact, when my first baby, when Stella was born, I missed an entire year. I mean, that first becoming a mother knocked me sideways, but I got my feet back under me and I may have missed a day or two here and there, but for the past 20 years, I've been doing my morning pages. And since we're talking about mechanics here, when I began working on this episode, I started to wonder, is that really all I do? I just fill three pages and that's it? I wondered if there was like a rhythm or a pattern to how I start those pages. And so I went back and looked at a bunch of journals and it turns out there is a pattern to how I do it. I didn't even realize it, but I almost always start by describing the quality of my sleep from the night before and analyzing my dreams. I dream in detail every morning before I wake up and generally it's not a good thing. Um, My dreams are always really anxiety-based. I'm running here or there, forgetting something. It's just, that's how I roll, unfortunately. And this is the dirty little secret of my journaling practice. The thing that is true even though it's a little bit embarrassing to admit. My dirty little secret of my journaling practice is this. I wake up anxious every single day. I'm anxious about any number of things, and my dreams usually reflect this. At my core, you guys, I am an incredibly anxious human. I am chased by anxiety. I am afraid of literally everything. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of success. I'm afraid of my own talents. I'm afraid of not having any talents. I'm afraid of misusing my time. I'm afraid of overextending myself in pursuit of using my time. You name it, I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of food. I'm afraid of going on vacation. I'm afraid of not going on vacation. I'm afraid of airplanes, even though I love airplanes. I mean, this is literally how my brain wakes up every day. It is perpetually anxious. Unless, unless I use my journal to smooth things out and reground myself in my power. So each and every morning I wake up, I brush my teeth, and while I'm waiting for my coffee to brew, I'm writing in my morning pages and I'm journaling about all the shit I'm nervous about, worried about, terrified about. And it all begins with writing it down. Here's a snapshot from today's morning pages. I know it's, it's going to be boring, but I just want you to get a sense. Like this is literally all it is. Here I go. Okay. I could not fall asleep last night. Broken Harbor by Tana French was so intense and amazing. I couldn't put it down. Then I was reviewing lonely moments of my weird childhood. I was thinking of my dad's friends dinner parties when I was always the only kid there. It's amazing that nothing terrible happened to me as I wandered those empty houses by myself I just kept remembering and remembering. I felt wide awake, but eventually I slept and I woke up dreaming. I dreamt I was a student on my bike going from place to place, class to class. I dreamt that so-and-so's son hurt me holding my wrists together too tight. That passage I just read was probably one, maybe three quarters of a page of writing. There were two pages that followed that. 
By page two, and this is the pattern, I'm usually starting to make sense of all the anxious thoughts. And by page three, I'm giving myself exactly the advice I need to get recentered. Funny enough, this pattern it really is what I do. A page of brain dumping, a page of meaning making and analysis, and a page of coming back to center before leaving it all behind and facing the day. And that's all there is to it, at least for me. And if you're wondering, how is this helpful? It sounds like self-indulgent drivel. You're not wrong. It is self-indulgent drivel. But it's also a safe place to process being human. It's a safe place to practice being real and boring and honest. And it's a place I don't have to perform. And that is the value. Not the words, not the pages, the emotional, psychological calisthenics of just letting myself be human without judgment and demands. And it is worth everything to me. I get up from that journal steady, clear-eyed, hopeful, and ready. But I know for some of us, just diving into the morning pages without prompts, like writing prompts is just too scary. The white page is too intimidating. So if you're one of those people and you need prompts, let me share my favorites with you. Are you ready? Now remember, the only prompt I use is like, I talk about sleeping and I talk about what I dreamt about. But... These are some other good ones in case that just, you run out of steam. Okay. First one, I love, so I. This is a prompt from Paramatma Siddhi Sadhana, a kundalini yoga legend who I've followed for years. And for this one, you just fill in the blanks. I love X and so I Y. For example, I love being outside. So I walk my dog every day. I love reading. So I spend an hour a day with a book. I love stories, so I gather them whenever I can find them and save them. The reason this prompt is so lovely is that it spins a little energy tornado of joy and delight inside of us. When we start writing about what we love and the actions we take to, to, to indulge that love, it, it sort of spins us up energetically in a good way. And if you're sick of yourself and you're sick of your sadness or your rage, your disgust, or your disappointment or your boredom, try this one. It'll spin you in a different direction. And if you're so sick or sad or disgusted or disappointed that you literally don't remember what you love, start small. I love strawberries, so I'll go buy some. I love coffee, so I'll go out of my ways to get the good stuff instead of the cheap garbage that's easy to get. These prompts change you moment to moment. Another one I love is I see. If you're stuck, it can be super helpful to just describe something you see. It can be as simple as this. I see a wooden dining room table. I see a beige ceramic mug of cold coffee. I see the cardboard box on top of a board game called Make and Break. And this game fills me with anxiety because you have to go construct a specific shape out of wooden blocks before a timer goes off. I hate that goddamn game. Look, see that? I could fill nearly a page just with my feelings of anxiety about that stupid game. And if you're like, how is this helpful? (laughs) Now you're anxious. (laughs) You know, it's a good question, but let's just speak in metaphor for a second here. If I've got a piece of steak lodged in my molar and I don't floss it, that thing is going to cause all kinds of problems in my gums. And I got to get in there and floss it out. That's what these pages and these prompts do weirdness inside of me, I need to air it out. And when I air it out, I can breathe and create. And once it's on the page, I can laugh to myself and say, dude, if you don't like make and break, don't play it, play chess instead. Right? 
It's just, earth school is hard. Being human is hard. Okay, my other prompt, I'm feeling. I love this prompt. I have this thing um, that I have printed at my desk, and it's called the emotion wheel. And you can, if you sign up for my newsletter, I'm going to send it in the show notes for this, so you'll have access to it too. But it's literally a graphic display of all the range of human emotions. I think they're missing a few, but it's a good start. And so what I will do is I will pull out my emotion wheel and I will look at it and put my finger on what I'm feeling and I write, I feel fill in the blank. So uh, an emotion I've been feeling lately is overstimulated, (laughs) just overstimulated. And so I'll write about that. And by the time I'm done writing about what I'm feeling, I just feel like there's some space around that emotion. It's not just, oh my God, I'm overstimulated and overwhelmed and there's nothing else in the world that exists. I just have a little space around the emotion and that allows me to make different kinds of choices and it allows me to stop ruminating. You know what I'm saying? Another good one is what if in a good way. I love asking myself what if with a twinkle in my eye. For example, here's a what if that makes my heart sing. What if work is super easy this week? Like what if everything just flows? What if ideas are right where I need them and my audience is right there with me and proposals take no time to generate and invoices are effortlessly paid? And what if it all just falls into place? If I write on that, it changes the way I feel. My shoulders get lower. My anxiety goes down. It's just a great prompt. Another one that I love, and this one, this is one I use when I can tell I'm not being honest or I'm skimming the surface or I'm just bullshitting myself in my journal. This phrase is, what I really want to say is, and then I just drop into it. I just say it. And this came from Natalie Goldberg who wrote the legendary book on writing called Writing Down the Bones. She also wrote Wild Mind and a million other things. But she is literally the godmother of my writing practice, for sure. I mean, maybe she's the mother and Julia Cameron's the godmother. Anyway, she says, when you find yourself just skimming the surface, just say what I really want to say is, and then say it. You know, you could be in the middle of writing down your grocery list and your morning pages and be like, what I really want to say is that I'm still mad at my best friend for doing X, Y, and Z when we were 10. That's what the journal's for. It's so great. Another thing I do when I get stuck and I can't think of anything to say is I just literally write the sentence, keep the pen moving. Sometimes I have to write it four times before the next sentence presents itself. But that's how you do it right? And here's here's the last prompt that I like working with. And this came to me from my beloved business coach, Ben Kiker. I've already won and I feel fill in the blank. This thought experiment in journal form is just pure magic because so much of our anxiety is produced by striving, trying, pushing, hustling. I love answering the question, how would I behave if I knew that I'd already won. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine you've already won. You got the money, you got the prestige, you got the car, you got the vacation, you got the girlfriend, you got the husband, the child, the divorce you've been wanting, the book deal, the relocation package, whatever you're hustling for. Let your mind imagine how would you behave if you realized you already won. I'm, tr- I'm telling you, it's powerful. 
So those are some prompts to prime your pen. But what we need to talk about now is the yabbats, right? The second territory of three that we are covering here is the yabbats. We need to talk about the obstacles that are invariably going to pop up and stop you from writing. Some of these obstacles are internal, some external. And the mother of all obstacles when it comes to a journaling practice is this one. What if someone reads it? This is real. And if you think I'm going to dismiss this as a petty fear, then you've got another thing coming. When I was a kid, a friend of mine read my journal and teased me mercilessly for it. She even wrote in it. And I laughed it off at the time, but it was really jarring. It was embarrassing. It was excruciating. It changed the way I wrote in my journal after that. I self-edited heavily for a long time, but notice I didn't stop. I couldn't stop writing. Unless you judge my friend too harshly for reading my journal. We were literally 10 years old, so cut her some slack. (laughs) But having someone read your private scribblings is a violation, full stop, It's not right and it's not okay, but it is something you may need to consider and be prepared for. For me, I've chosen a life partner who would never dream of violating that sacred boundary, honestly. Plus, I think Sal would rather get stabbed in the eyeballs than read my diary drivel. But I've trained my kids that my journal is full of ramblings and anxiety and that it's for me only. And that signals to them that they get to have a sacred place to pour themselves out without fear right? But having said all that, I know that this is a kind of privilege because I don't live in a household that sneaks peeks into other people's psyches. It's just not how we roll. But maybe that's a judgmental way of saying it. Maybe the truth of it is, is that nobody that lives with me is that curious about me. Some of us, some of you listening have partners and children and roommates who are absolutely that curious about what makes you tick, right? Some people are so curious, they can't help but leaf through your private musings. And if that's you, and you suspect that your journal is not considered sacrosanct private property, there are some workarounds, right? Here's one workaround. Hide it. Wrap it up in an everyday, dumb-looking brown Safeway bag and shove it to the bottom of an old purse in your closet or put it under your bed or something and take it out and write when you're going to the bathroom. Lock the door. Put it inside of a bag you've marked for goodwill that just like lives in on, in some place that nobody goes. And is all of this kind of stuff a huge pain in the ass? Yeah, it is. But it's worth it. If you have no privacy in your life and you have to hide your journal, you need a journal worse than anybody. Because chances are you haven't been alone with your thoughts in a long time. And you need to be alone with your thoughts. Option two, consider redacting the sensitive parts. Have you ever seen a redacted document? It looks like it's got that black text over it. That black bark sort of covers the sensitive pieces. Just get yourself a big ass Sharpie. And once you have poured yourself out like a libation onto that page and written down some heavy sins, get that Sharpie out and cover it. Not because you're ashamed, not because you're fearful, but out of self-respect because you deserve privacy. Everyone has sins they're ashamed of. Everyone has stuff they'd rather not share with the world. And you know what? That is our right as human beings. We have a right to privacy. And if that Sharpie is the angel of privacy, you call upon her to protect your insights, confessions, and fears, my friend. You deserve the cover of night 
for some of those thoughts. And that is why God invented Sharpies. You might have to do both sides. I'm just saying. Like Sharpie one side of the page and then flip it over and Sharpie the other. I'm just saying, okay? Number three, write at a coffee shop or someplace away from home. This was a big one for me for a very long time. I just couldn't be honest and let it bleed with a house full of hair shirts. My mind kept reaching out, like touching their opinions and notions as I was writing, and I had to get the hell out. I would write from coffee shops, from parks, even hotel lobbies. There's just something about getting away from your normal confines that helps this process. Okay, so that's the yeah, but of like, what if somebody finds it? Now let's talk about how do you organize it? How do you make it meaningful? I love that question. All my type A people are like, yeah, but how do you organize it? How do you color code it? I love you guys. It's so awesome. Here's the answer. You don't. You don't organize or make it meaningful. You just write. It's not supposed to be meaningful. It's just supposed to happen every single day without fail if you can swing it. It, It's like asking, how do I make my brushing my teeth more like elegant? You don't. You just... Just brush your teeth and know that it will give you a radiant smile and your teeth won't fall out when you're old. It's not glamorous. It's not organized. It's not even interesting. It's just necessary. What about this? Yeah, but what is worth writing? What even is like, what would I even write about? And this is probably the most common. Yeah, but I think, you know, what's worth writing everything. Because it's not the writing that's worth something. It's the act of moving the pen across the page and pouring out your brain garbage. It's taking the trash out. Imagine like if you were like, is it okay to throw this rotten banana peel into the trash can? Or should I keep it in my um, kitchen in case the neighbors see it? Like, we got to get rid of that shit. We'd be sitting on a pile of crap the size of Texas if we didn't take out the trash. Stop seeing writing as precious. Start seeing it as taking out your mind trash. How about this one? How do I get over the fact that it feels unproductive? This I get 100%. And when I first got started, three pages in a journal every day felt like such an indulgence. It felt like sneaking out to get a massage or something. It's not. Set a timer and write without ceasing for 20 minutes. You'll have your pages done by then. And you know you would have spent 20 minutes scrolling. You know what I mean? Like, don't act like you don't got 20 minutes. You have 20 minutes. You would have been doom scrolling or Instagram or, you know what I mean? At least at the end of this 20 minutes, you'll have three pages of trash that you've taken out, three pages of writing to show for it. And if you keep at it and you make it a habit, you will realize that this is the most productivity inducing activities you can do for yourself. Seriously, trust me on this. Something else I heard from a couple people was this one. I'm so sad that if I write, I'll just get sadder. And this is real. And if you're in a state of grief, like something situational, as opposed to clinical and and sort of chronic depression, that sadness has to go somewhere. It has to pour out. And while it seems bottomless, it's not. And it may never fully go away. Real grief never does. But the more you move that sadness through you, the more peace you find, right? When my dear friend Kevin Rice died, I was so grateful for my journal practice because I just, I wrote letters to him. I wrote really bad poetry. I I, I mean, I, I wrote everything. I, I described the color of his eyes. I described the way we used to tag team car dance in the car as teenagers. I wrote everything. And it really helped. God, it's crazy. That grief is still there. I just felt it all come back in that moment. 
But that practice helped move it through. It really, really helped move it through. But having said that, if after weeks of writing, you're still only getting more sad, you really need to work with a licensed therapist. Don't tolerate unchecked depression for longer than you have to. I work with a therapist myself and I have for years. And if you're listening, you're like, uh, yeah, girl, I already work with a licensed therapist and I'm still feeling like shit. Um, you may want to try a different therapist or maybe different modalities of healing. You know, sometimes there are wounds that talk therapy can't access. Let your intuition tell you what you need to heal. And if you need to take a break from your morning pages, you know you need to do that. But, you know, try it. The other question I got was, how long does it take? And here's the thing. I can get mine done in 20 minutes if I don't have any interruptions. If I am interrupted, it can take me an hour easily. And some purists say that once you begin to journal, you don't stop and start. You just get it done until you've got your three pages. But whoever wrote that doesn't have kids. So just be flexible, but think ahead and maybe get up 20 minutes earlier because then you can get it done. There's nothing that pisses me off more than getting deep into my morning pages and somebody being like, mom, where's the milk? (laughs) Snarl. And speaking of people needing you, another thing. This, it can be really, really helpful to have a buddy with this, someone who can sort of be there in it with you or notify your family like, Hey guys, I need your help making sure that I get this done or your roommates. I got to get this done every day. You'll be shocked by how people are like, Oh, I'd be happy to help you with that. I remember when I first started doing morning pages, I told my dad, I was like, I was on vacation with him. I was like, dad, I got to do these three pages of my journal every day. It has to happen. You have to help me. And that guy was like, (laughs) he was like my drill sergeant. Like I'd be pouring my coffee and he'd be like, did you do them? Did you get them done? So ask for help, get people to help you with it. It's amazing. It's really kind of cute. The other question I get is the, how do I stay consistent question? And this, my friend, is where we enter the third phase of this conversation. We're bringing it home, people. We need a plan. I would like you to consider making this a daily habit. It's not something you try for a few days and see how it feels. It's something you do consistently and over time, right? Just like brushing your teeth. I'm inviting you to do a three pages a day challenge. You can hashtag it, three pages a day, and tag me in anything you post, and I will share the shit out of it if you want. But do it for 30 days. Post every day or don't post every day. Posting hashtags are not what counts here. It's the writing that counts. So write, make like Julia Cameron and do your damn morning pages. And what I've learned about habit formation is that it really helps if you tie it to some kind of trigger, like you couple up with another habit that's already ingrained. And for me, my trigger is coffee. When my coffee is ready or when I'm making my coffee, I begin my morning pages. I very closely associate the feeling of that caffeine hitting my bloodstream with my pen moving across the page. It is a very good pairing in my opinion. I highly recommend it. But here's the thing. Remember, don't make it precious. Don't wait until you have the perfect journal and the perfect fountain pen and perfect candle to light as you begin. And as an aside, I have all three of these things because I live for pens and journals and things like that. And if you sign up for my newsletter, bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe, in this week's newsletter, I'm going to be linking all of my gear, all the shit that I use that I live for, my favorite pen, my favorite journal, my favorite everything. 
So head on over there and don't miss it. But if you, you're listening to this and it's after the fact, just go to my um, subscribe page. It has all of my old newsletters and you can look it up. So, you know what I mean? Like, don't wait for stuff to be perfect. Just go to the freaking drugstore and get a damn spiral notebook with the wonder pets on the front and start writing. Grab that hotel notepad they keep on the desk. Just start writing. You know what I mean? So now that we've talked about the mechanics, we've talked about the yeah buts. Now we have a plan. I want to ask my dear friend Gandalf to bring it on home for me here in this episode. (laughs) Spoiler alert, if you haven't read or watched Lord of the Rings, you should drop off now. Remember in the second Lord of the Rings movie, The Two Towers, when Gandalf has to go sort out Theoden King? Theoden, just as a reminder slash spoiler, Theoden is king of Edoras, which was a lovely, beautiful, prosperous land. But Theoden allowed himself to be hoodwinked and spellbound by this hideous dude named Grima Wormtongue. And Grima becomes his quote-unquote advisor and basically brainwashes him and reduces him to this weak, half-asleep, ancient, decrepit shell of an old man. All this so that Sourman can have his way with Theoden's lands, because Grima and Sourman are are working together. Meanwhile, the kingdom of Edoras is coming unraveled because their king is unable to function. So Gandalf heads over to Edoras to talk some sense into Theoden, because Gandalf right now is in a fight to save Middle-earth, and he needs the military support of, of Theoden and his people. And Gandalf knows Grima Wormtongue, that dirtbag. And he knows that he probably has a good chance of breaking that spell that Grima has over Theoden King. And Gandalf knows that if he can just get Theoden to wake up, get his shit together, he and all of his military can join them in the fight to save Middle-earth. So Gandalf heads over to Theoden's crib and finds Theoden looking like, basically like Mrs. Havisham, just like a pale x-ray of his former self, a cobwebbed mass of a human. And sure enough, there's Grima Wormtongue whispering hideosity into his ancient ear holes, right? But Gandalf is having none of it. He casts off his humble traveling cloak and just radiates in his brilliant white robes and stands at his full height of wizarding radness and says in a very loud voice, Be silent. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a witless worm. And Gandalf awakens Theoden, who sheds his geriatric mange and returns to himself strong and powerful and ready to kick ass as king of Edoras. And once he's been restored to his former strength and majesty, Theoden looks bewildered. Like, how the hell did I let this asshole cast this hideous spell over me? Friends, that entire scene captures exactly what a journaling practice can do for you. It silences that voice of garbage that we carry around in our minds that voice that reduces us to small, fearful creatures afraid of everything. When we journal, we allow ourselves to wake up, to reanimate our most powerful selves. Even if that most powerful self is covered in cobwebs and geriatric mange, it does wake up. When we journal, we remember who we are. When we journal, we regain that bone-deep strength that we forgot we had, We allow ourselves to rise up and shine. And in case you forgot, that's why you came here. You came here to shine. Shine on, my friends. 
I'll see you next time. And I sure as hell hope to see some hashtags. Let's get it going. Let's get this habit ingrained. And I'll see you next time. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered hot off the press. Or if you think of someone who could really use this message, share it with them. Also, if you're looking to take this further and go further and faster on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication concept or tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am digging right now. It's just a fun little Saturday morning snippet to get you going. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF and LinkedIn. And if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually, I'm your gal. So shoot me a note and let's make some magic happen. Find me at BronwynCommunications.com and shine on. Thank you for listening.